Shalom, everyone. I'll speak in English. <laughs> this is not a Sydney, Australia accent. I'm a missionary with Jews for Jesus and have been for 31 years, living mostly in the U.S., born, bred, and buttered in Kansas City. <laughs> but the last 13 years, I've lived with my wife and kids in Sydney, Australia, sharing the good news of Jesus with the people who didn't invite me to be their chaplain. And it's been a joy. Tough times, but great times. Worship team, can I take you with me everywhere? <laughs> that was too good. That was, that was stunningly good. And I really appreciated it. I was taken to the cross. And that's good for a minister. Um, thank you, Brent and Carol, for letting me stay with you last night. Thank you for breakfast, Kevin, this morning. And thanks, friends, for giving me an ear as we share together this morning something many of you have seen before, but some haven't. This is what we call Christ in the Passover, which makes perfect sense to so many of you, but I grew up an Orthodox Jew. Christ was for y'all. How's that? Pretty good. don't expect very many of those. Christ was for you, the Gentiles, and Passover was for us, the Jews. They didn't go together. But by the end of this morning, if you're not already convinced, I pray you will be convinced that Christ, the Passover, and Jews and Jesus dovetail wonderfully. We're going to talk about how Jewish people celebrate the Passover, which begins worldwide tomorrow night. We're going to talk about how Jesus celebrated the Passover and instituted Holy Communion, which springs right from this sacred feast. We'll talk a little about Jews for Jesus. I'll show you pictures of my wife and kids. We'll see how far we can get. Look with me in your Bibles at Exodus chapter 12, would you please? And if you only brought a New Testament to hear a Jew talk about Passover, <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> I'm so glad the kids get to stay in here. Sometimes they get dashed off to other places. Good on you for that. Let's hope that this is good for them as well. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning of months for you, the first month of the year for you. That's kind of odd, isn't it? For 61 chapters, we've had a perfectly good calendar. But all of a sudden, now we're getting a new one. Why? Well, if I asked you when you were born, you'd say, Well, I was born on that date. And if I asked you when you were born again, you'd tell me another date. The Jewish people celebrate the new year in September on a date called the 1st of Tishrei. That's the new year of creation. We mark it 5,700 and change years since God created the world. Take that, university. Uh, <laughs> but now we're getting a new calendar to mark that we were redeemed out of Egypt. This is a good one. Speak, verse 3, to all the congregation of Israel and say, On the tenth of this month, every one of you should take a lamb according to his father's household, one for each house. If the house is too small for a lamb, he and his neighbor near ought to share together. That makes perfect sense. One lamb will feed an awful lot more than 2.5 kids, so share together. That You don't have to teach Jewish people about community food, but you do have to teach a lot of other things. Uh, by the way, the month is called Nisan. Before it was a Japanese car. It was a Hebrew month. 
Uh, verse 5, your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old, take it from the sheep or the goats, and then keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Well, that's pretty harsh. Well, think about it. On the 10th of Nisan, daddies, you go out to the back 40 and pick up a sheep, pick up a lamb, bring it into the backyard, and for the next four days you're inspecting it and the kids are falling in love with it. And then you say on the 14th of the month, by the way, we're going to kill your new pet. There's no redemption without such sacrifice. Then in verse 7, you shall take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts and the lintel, that's the top of the frame, of the doors where you eat it. Now, that's just downright sick. <laughs> Tell you what, next Sunday it's Easter, so stop at the hardware store before you all get here and pick up a bucket of blood. We'll meet back at church and do some painting. I don't know about the smell, but that sure looks Friday the 13th to me, doesn't it, you? <laughs> scream 5. Or maybe it should be Scream 0. Anyway, what it, what it was... Conservatively, there are 300,000 houses where Jewish people lived in the land of Goshen, that section of Egypt where the Jews were basically incarcerated as slaves. So it's, this wasn't done at the church or the synagogue or the temple. This was done in homes. So let's say there were 300,000 homes with blood dripping. You couldn't miss it. This is effusive. This is, it's everywhere. And it, the testimony would have happened. The Jews were saved by the blood of lambs. And it wouldn't have just happened that night. I mean, of course, the blood was sprinkled that night, but imagine a decade later when some nomads would wander through the land of Goshen, that section, and they'd say, what happened here? Because the blood would still be on the doors all over, and the testimony would continue. The Jews were saved by the blood of lambs. We'll get back to that again and again, as you can imagine. Verse 8, you shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs you shall eat it. What a menu. Now, I don't have to explain to Baptists how traditions grow. We, we've, got plenty, uh, we've got plenty more years on you, too. This is 3,500 years ago. So you can see we've got a lot more stuff than just some lamb, some horseradish, and some crackers. We've, we've got a lot more than that, and I'll go through that. But those are the three required items of the Passover. Verse 11, this is how you shall eat it. With your loins girded. How many of you girded your loins before you came this morning? <laughs> Brother, put your hand down. <laughs> Always a fellow. Now let me see if I can explain it. Some of your version says with a belt in your waist or with tucking your cloak into your belt, whatever in the world that means. Here's what it is. From what I understand, I've never tried this, but it's hard to run in a dress. That's what I've told. Men and women in those days wore robes, gowns, if you will. So to what they would do would be to pull up a rope in between their legs, tuck it into the belt, thus creating trousers so that they could leave. Well, it says, put sandals on your feet. Middle Eastern men take off their shoes when they eat. Here it says, put them on. For eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. It's not going to be like we do nowadays. Nowadays, we recline on pillows. It's more like a family reunion. It's a family meal. It's a prayer service. It's sort of like Thanksgiving without football. 
I know that's a real culture shock to West Texans. Um, anything without football. Anyway, um, <laughs> but this is really, it's, the preparation would be like Thanksgiving for days and weeks, depending, and, and the family gathers together. It's a big, big deal. But in that night, it would have been more like drive through and fast food. Because it says, I will go through the land of Egypt, verse 12, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I am the Lord. That's sort of signed God. Verse 13, now the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So it's the blood that saved the Jews. If a Jewish person did not put blood on the door in the correct manner, he would not have been spared. His firstborn would have been killed. And if an Egyptian had put blood on the door in the correct way and by faith believed in the God of the Hebrews, he would have been spared. So it wasn't genealogy that saved the Jews. It was blood that saved Jew and anyone else. We'll get back to that. Then it goes through this whole teaching about unleavened bread. What a funny thing. Page, I mean, verse by verse by verse, all about leaven and getting yeast out of the place. Who cares? Well, it, uh, but it was big, and so we had to. We couldn't even see any leaven in our houses for seven days. Modern days, tonight would be the night when we'd go through the house and clean the leaven out of the house, even though Mom has already cleaned it days or weeks ago. There's no crumbs. There's no Hostess Twinkies. You know, there's none of that stuff. Because mom's already cleaned it until we get to the one windowsill where she always sprinkles a few crumbs just so we can do a ceremony and the man can clean the house. <laughs> I've cleaned it, yes. Fellows, that's how easy it is to clean a house. Just de- declare it. Uh, back in the days of Yeshua, Jesus, the men would gather there at the temple site where there was a great bonfire raging and they'd all cast their bundles of leaven into the fire pronounce the appropriate benediction, and then the house is clean. That is just great. But we don't do that much anymore. Some do. Some do. I, I certainly did that with my kids. My dad did that with me. We'd go on Badikat Chameitz, the search for leaven. Pretty cool. Verse 25, when you enter the land, keep this service. Observe this. Verse 26, and it'll be when your children ask you, what do you mean by this right? Or as my kids would say, Hey, Pop, do we have to do this again? Verse 27, you shall say, this is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. The word our is huge. Oh, not in font size. In fact, it's just one little Hebrew letter, but it's huge because it's significant. When my kids who are 31, 27, and 20, that's years, um, ask me... (laughs) Something cut his fancy. When, when they ask me, hey, Dad, why are we doing this again? I say, look, it's not only about the Jewish people of the days of Moses and Aaron. It's not only about the Jewish folk of the days of Jesus. It's not only about the Jewish folk of the Middle Ages or even the Holocaust. It's about us. God saved us. We were there. In fact, my daughter, the middle one, is pregnant with our first grandchild. And that's pretty fun to think and imagine what I'll do on July 5th. Um, from Australia. How am I going to get there? Well, anyway, whatever. Uh, she, and I'm thinking it's a boy, they've told me, 
So I'm planning already how I'm going to teach him. That's my responsibility. I'm the dad, the granddaddy. I'm supposed to teach. And how am I going to teach him that it's our homes that God spared? Hmm. Own this thing. Take this on board. Well, now I'm going to go through this this morning with you. This is called in Hebrew a Seder. Can you say the word Seder? Seder means order, like order of service. And this same Seder is done, be it here in Texas or in Australia, Russia, Israel, wherever Jewish people are. And I'll try to draw out some symbolism that I think will mean a lot to you as I go through this this morning. And if you miss something, just, you know, just hang in there. We'll get back to you. Um, You've got a brochure, I hope, and that will help you as we go through some of these items as I say words that you don't get. I apologize for that. And there's also some materials up the back in what you call the community area. So I've got a table with books and CDs and DVDs, all kinds of good stuff. So you can pick up some things at the back after the service uh, before you all run to be with the Vacation Bible School. Stop there just for a minute, would you please? Uh, Now the lights are lit by the mother of the house bringing light to the festival of our redemption. You know, people want to know, Bob, I'm a little confused. So Jews for Jesus. Are, Are you Jewish or are you Christian? My answer? Yes. (laughs) Well, do you celebrate Passover or Easter? Yes. Here's the deal. I don't really care what one religion says or another. I celebrate what God did. See, God delivered the Jewish people with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand. He saved us from Pharaoh 3,500 years ago. That's worth celebrating. And he delivered all people by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus 2,000 years ago. I'm going to celebrate that. St. Patrick's Day? Yeah, I don't have a clue. Now, there are four cups here. Each member of the family has just one cup, and it's filled four times with wine. Wine is a symbol of joy. Four cups of wine is a lot of joy. Uh, Are those visitors? (laughs) Checking. Each cup represents a different aspect of the redemption that God bought for us in Egypt. The first is the cup of sanctification, the Kiddush cup. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. We sanctify that is set apart this cup, this meal, even our lives to the Lord. Then my wife comes in with a pitcher of water, pours it over my hands into a basin, and I have clean hands. Just like an Older Testament priest would have done. Remember, at the time of the ritual slaughter, he would have washed in the laver, Jesus, the night of the Last Supper, laid aside these garments, poured water into a basin, and showed what a true priest would be, a servant of all, as he washed the disciples' feet. Now this is called a Seder, and this, friends, is a Seder plate. always has six compartments on it. The items that would be here flat in the center of the table uh, are up here this morning. Lou, thank you, wherever you are, for getting all these things for us. Excellent. These are the standard appetizers. They're pretty standard worldwide. The main dishes will be a little different if you're in Sydney or if you're in uh, uh, Moscow or New York City. But the entrees, sorry, only America do we call entree the main dish. Everywhere else in the world, entree means when you enter or appetizer. Entradas for you Latinos. 
Why do we do that? Why do, why do we have to do that in America? Just change the language. We'll make it a little bonus I haven't told anybody else. Anyway, there you go. So these are the appetizers. All right, this is parsley. Every member of the family takes a sprig of carpus, these greens, and immerses it here into the salt water, and then we eat it. It's not that bad. Now, the parsley represents life, our vibrant Jewish life in Egypt, and the salt water represents the tears that we cried as we waited for God to send his Messiah for us. Our life was immersed in tears. That song that one of the piano players was playing early before the service, Were You There? I love that song, that hymn we sing at this time of year. What that does is it takes you from today and it rewinds you 2,000 years to the time of the Passion. What Passover does is it rewinds us yet 1,500 more years to the time of the Exodus so we can say we were there. So we're going to eat foods that remind us of the suffering of the house of bondage. Being a slave is nothing to celebrate. But redemption or deliverance from that, glory to God, that's cool. And by the way, Hosanna, which is, that was a beautiful song. Uh, Hosanna doesn't mean yippee ki And it doesn't mean hallelujah. It actually means help, save us. It's more of a grunt, the na, ugh, save us. And that's what they were crying on that Passion or Palm Sunday. That's what the Jewish people were crying in Egypt just before the deliverance. We're going to eat some foods. Well, you know, this onion, what will happen if I peel it back and chop it? Yeah, my eyes will stream. I'll cry again, remembering the pain of suffering of the house of bondage. We get to the first of the three required items, freshly ground horseradish. Which of the kids should I give this to? Uh, oh, no, buddy. God bless you. This is not custard. Uh, this is like Jewish Vicks. You, you eat this stuff, you'll never forgive me. You'll drop out of Christ. You'll hate me. Anyway. <laughs> so why don't you believe in Jesus? When I was seven... <laughs> Yeah, this is required. These are the bitter herbs we're to eat, and tomorrow night I will, and I'll take a large scoop, and I will remember the bitterness of the house of suffering, the house of bondage that we were in. Then we take not only the moror, that's the horseradish, but this charoset, and we eat them together. The charoset is an apple mixture. It's got cinnamon, some other spices, some nuts, some wine, some raisins. (laughs) It's delicious, especially after the other appetizers. It's really good. And it represents by its texture and by its color the mortar that was used as we made the bricks and built the store cities for Pharaoh, Pithom, and Ramses. So this represents hard work. You ought to be thinking a question. Now, wait a minute, Bob. I can follow you with the salt water, the onion, the horseradish. Yeah, that's the suffering of the people. I get it, I get it. But now the good stuff represents the same thing. The rabbis have an answer. When you're looking today at what is, yes, life can be difficult. But when you look down the road and see your redemption drawing near, even the bitterest of labors can be sweet to the taste. Some of you buy it. Some of you don't. All right. This is a hard-boiled egg, I think. Yep. (laughs) Sometimes it's scorched with the fire from the candle or in the oven because this now represents the chagiga, 
the special holiday offering that was brought every year while the temple stood. This was the lamb roasted with fire. Fire is emblematic of judgment. The lamb was judged with a judgment due us. Some kind of transfer occurred. More about that transfer in a couple minutes. Now we drink from the cup a second time. This is called the cup of plagues. But before we drink it, we take with our finger or a spoon ten drops of wine and we put them on our plate. One for each of the plagues that befell the Egyptians. Our joy is diminished when we remember the suffering even of our enemies. Now think about those plagues with me for a minute. Nine of them couldn't touch the Jewish people. Here would be a Jew in light. Next to him would be an Egyptian in darkness. Here a Jew would have good water to drink. His Egyptian neighbor would have bloody. But the tenth plague was different. We just read about it. That's the slaying of the firstborn. And that could have happened to the Jewish people. So God gave a commandment. In fact, a whole set of commandments. We remember it with this. The last item on the Seder plate. To me, the most significant item up here. This is the shank bone of a lamb. A little lamb. Most Jewish people today don't eat lamb at the Passover because we have no temple into which to bring the sacrifice. But we remember the whole sacrificial system with the Zoroah, that is the shank bone. Uh, let me rehearse it for you, if I might. The sacrificial system as we used it in those days. The father, remember the priest, would take upon himself, perhaps by means of a prayer, the sins of his whole family. He would, in a way, become sin. Then he'd lay his hands on the lamb and transfer or impute the sins from himself into the little lamb. Now the lamb became sin. And the wages of sin is death, so the lamb has to die. He'd slaughter the lamb and collect the blood there into the basin. Not a bowl this time, but the threshold of the doors. One for each of the households of the Jewish people in Egypt. But it's not enough that the blood was spilled. He had to take a leafy branch, a bunch of hyssop, take the blood and paint it on the two doorposts, and then again the lintel, the top of the frame, from which it would splash back down into the basin so that effectively all four edges of the door are sealed from the angel of death who came through the land and would pass over any house that had the blood on the door in the appropriate manner. So kids, that's obviously where we get the word Passover in what the angel did. I don't like symbolism for evangelism. I think there's a whole lot better way to do it. But for you who already believe, it's a powerful symbol. Watch my hands. The father took the blood. And on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house, he applied the blood of the lamb, the pure, the spotless lamb, by the which were delivered out of Egypt, received the law, and went into the promised land. Isn't that what happened to you? To each one of you who's come to believe in and follow the Lord Jesus. He died on a cross much more wicked than the old rugged one behind me. And when he died, it affected the world, the entire world, but not your world. Not until you took the hyssop of your own confession of faith and applied the already spilled blood of Jesus, if you will, to the doors of your own heart so you could be delivered from your own bondage, what the Bible calls slavery to sin. Receive the law written on your heart this time and go into the land of all God's promises or the kingdom of God. That's taken the message of Passover personally. Amen? It's not the end of my sermon. This story is told every year by means of a book called the Haggadah. Can you say the word Haggadah? Now, this is not a Haggadah. This is the book Christ and the Passover that goes through everything I'm teaching you today, and it speaks slower than I do. But at the back of it, I've discovered, there is a model Haggadah. That is, you can go through this 
in your prayer groups or home groups or Bible study class, Sunday school, whatever, and you could actually, you could actually uh, carry this on and do it. You could do it Thursday night. You could do it any time of the year you want to have a Seder. That's kind of cool. In the back of the Haggadah, which is also on the not-so-free side of the table, um, is a recipe, a bunch of recipes. So I th- they've redone a couple things to my surprise and to my gladness. I'm glad. Um, the Haggadah means the telling or the story. And uh, we go through the prayers and the songs and the Bible passages. It's all in there. Included in there are four questions. You'll see those questions there in your brochure. And the four questions ask why we're doing these certain things. The first question says, Unleavened bread. Why is this night different from all other nights? Every other night we can either eat leavened or unleavened bread. Tonight the only kind of bread we can eat is this unleavened stuff. Why? <laughs> if you had to eat this for eight straight days, you'd ask the same question. Why do we have to eat it? Well, the Bible just said it. It's, it's one of the three required items. We're supposed to eat unleavened bread. Get it out of the house. I get it. I get it. But why? Well, because we were slaves for 400 years. On the 10th of Nisan, Moses comes home and says, pack up, we're leaving. You only have four days. Four days compared to 400 years is an instant, isn't it, in terms of history. So, fellas, we didn't have time to call Century 21. The ladies didn't have time to put the yeast in and wait for the bread to rise. They took the dough as it was, put it in the oven, pulled it out. It looked more like tortillas or pita bread than it did the big old puffy white bread of Da Vinci's Last Supper. So in the Older Testament, unleavened bread speaks of haste. In the Newer Testament, it speaks of holiness. Many of you would know leaven, symbol of sin, unleavened, symbol of righteousness. Paul says, get the leaven out. He says, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us, therefore let us keep the feast. You're with me. So the idea of holiness, sorry, is carried on in the Newer Testament. Well, I teach that to my kids, both of those, by means of this symbol called a matzah tash. Matzah meaning unleavened bread, tash meaning pocket. It's actually three pockets, three compartments in one. One, two, three compartments in this one bag. Don't get ahead of me. At the beginning of the Seder, the middle matzah is withdrawn, sometimes square, sometimes round, always flat. Can you see the stripes on it? Maybe not so well. Um, You might be able to see the perforations. It's pierced through now in the manufacturing process. This is probably not the way it looked back in the days of Yeshua, but it is the way the rabbis require that it looks today. So like Caiaphas will use their words. It's broken somewhat in half. Half is returned to the matzotash, and the other half is wrapped traditionally in a white cloth. It gets a new name, afikomen. Can you say the word afikomen? Afikomen means dessert. Yum. It also means he who comes later. Well, we play, daddies play a little treasure hunt game with the kids. We hide it. We bury it somewhere in the house. And after the meal, and it's a massive meal, the children run around and nobody yells at them. It's one of my favorites. And why? Because they're trying to find the hidden afikomen. 
Why? Because the rabbis say you can't finish the Seder without it. In fact, they say it represents the lamb that was brought in the original Exodus. Therefore, every member of the family has to eat of this piece. If you don't eat of this piece, you've not fulfilled any of the obligations of the Seder. You offend in one point, you're guilty of all. So you're the kid, you found it, they're the family, they need it. So you sell it back to dad for some pocket change. He distributes it to the rest of the family. That was a hoot when I was a kid. Now I'm the dad. (laughs) And my children hold out for currency, large currency. You know, in Australia, the denomination of dollar bills gets bigger. So the $5 note is purple and it's small and the 10 is blue and it's a little longer and a little wider and the 20 is orange and a little longer and a little wider. And my kids like the big yellow and the big green hundred. Well, anyway, now you might, <laughs> you might go to a rabbi in uh, North Dallas or Southwest Houston and ask, what's with this three yet one bag, the matzotash? What does that represent? And he might say, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three who were the one, the patriarchs. When was Isaac broken, pierced, striped, buried, and brought back from his burial place? On the Tosh are three Hebrew words, Kohen, Levi, Israel, the priests, the Levites, the Israelites, the three divisions of the one, the Jewish people. But when were the Levites broken, pierced, striped, buried, and brought back? You're with me, aren't you? You see a greater three, yet one, we call the triune God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, So the middle one, made visible for a while with us, would be the Lord Yeshua, the Lord Jesus, Jesucristo. Unleavened. Broken for us. By his stripes, Isaiah said, we'd be healed. The prophet Zechariah said, we the Jewish people would look on him whom we had pierced and we would mourn as one mourns for an only son. When they took him down from the cross, they wrapped him, if you will, in a white shroud and buried him from our eyes. And to most of my Jewish people, that's still where he is. When you encounter a Jewish person, ask him, who do you think Jesus is? And you'll get all kinds of answers. Oh, he's a prophet, a teacher, a rabbi, a good guy, but just a man. The end of all men is death. The end of death is the grave. They, like you, believe Jesus died. Jesus was buried. But that's it. And there ought to be something else rumbling inside you. Finish that story. Boy, I miss Paul Harvey. Without the rest of that story, y'all are a bunch of fools being here this morning. That's what the Apostle Paul said. If Christ is not risen from the dead, you're of all men most to be pitied. And, he said, you're still in your sins. But you're not. Because he's not, amen? Because he's risen from the dead. That's what we're singing. That's what the world is going to stop and notice. And people will make pronouncements about next Sunday. He's risen, and that resurrection changes everything. Changed my life. There's great reward for the kid who finds the afikoman. My, oh my, what reward did this Jew have who found the hidden one, the resurrected one? Great reward. Now it's not about getting $50 notes. Now it's about getting life eternal. That is so much better. His grave clothes were folded much better than that, and the stone was rolled away from in front of his tomb, not so he could get out. Jesus had no trouble getting in and out of closed doors after the resurrection. That stone was rolled away so we could look in and see. So our faith could be substantiated. He was ransomed back to the Father 
for the price of his own blood and distributed to each of us who believes and partakes. I buy the afikomen, he who comes later back from my kids, break it into small pieces, and then we eat it. Jesus took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the third cup. This is the focal point of the whole evening. This is the cup of redemption. This is the cup that points my mind back to Egypt and the blood dripping off doors. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now it's not getting one people out of another people. Now it's not about getting the Jews out of Egypt, but about getting Egypt out of everyone. Now it's about one nation. No, it's not about one nation at one point in time. It's about whosoever will getting in on a newer and an eternal covenant. This is a much better, better deal for anybody and everybody. It's just as effective as it was for the Jews to get out. It's just as effusive in that it's all global. You can't miss it. The blood of Jesus is available for all people in Abilene, in Odessa, wherever there are bushfires, in Australia, in New York, and around the globe. Thanks be to God, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, he said. Shed for the remission, meaning forgiveness, of the sins of many. Drink this when you do. Do this in remembrance of me. He instituted the communion with the matzah and the wine, symbols of the lamb. He said, this is now the greater lamb. This is the greater redemption. A few more songs are sung. A few more prayers are prayed. We get to the fourth cup. That's the cup of Hallel meaning like hallelujah, cup of praises. If you understand you've been redeemed, you can't help but sing, oh, sing of your Redeemer and His great love for you. A couple more things to cover, these very comfortable-looking pillows and that final cup. Let me take a break for a moment, comment on Jews for Jesus, can I? Um, Take that brochure, open it up all the way, would you please, to the fourth panel and tear that off like I did. The involvement section. Go ahead and rip that off. Thank you. Kids, it's the only thing we let you tear in church. Good. Well done. Helping your mother. Stop tearing it too. Uh, That's good. Uh, The involvement section is for me. The brochure is for you. So you're going to keep this. It's a memento. No, I won't sign it. Uh, There you go. Uh, It's just a help to remind you about some of these things. It's got all kinds of other uh, helps. Also, the involvement section, though, is for me. After you fill it out, and I hope you do, many of you receive already the Jews for Jesus newsletter. I hope you'll fill it out and just check the box there that says, I think I already get it. Please do that. The folks in California love reading people who are still with us. It's a great encouragement that you are here again. But if you're new or you've never signed up before, I hope you'll fill that out with your name and address, all those things it asked for. I don't think it rude. I won't think it rude of you to write while I'm speaking. Go ahead and do that. And the back has four categories, one of which you are, whether you're Jewish or not, whether you're for Jesus or not. So just fill that in and tell us who you are. That's so you can get the newsletter from San Francisco. It doesn't come from Sydney, though I'm happy to send you things, but it's probably easier for everybody if it comes from California. That's the U.S. headquarters. Those of you who don't know much about us, we're evangelists. This is a bonus that I get to come out and speak in churches, and I really appreciate it. But it is not the bulk of what I do. The bulk of what I do is sit one-to-one and have church of two, 
with Jewish folks in Sydney and Melbourne and all around Australia. And I do it on Skype now, so I can do it late at night like I did last night. Uh, that was fun. Um, uh, and uh, this morning again. Look, there are Jewish people all around the globe with whom I'm sharing the good news and discipling. And so we have Church of Two. And it's a, it's a great thing. God's been kind to give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. In the land of Israel right now, and I want to show you this because this is brand new, um, called Flowers of the Sun. It is a documentary on what's going on in the land of Israel right now with Jewish folk, especially with our Jews for Jesus teams in operation and featuring one couple, but it goes through, it's got testimonies, some of the opposition. Yeah, it's really, it's excellent. Um, There are lots of products up the back, so hopefully you'll get those. And the more you take today, the less I'll have to schlep to Allen tonight. Where I'm speaking, Allen, really? Allen, Texas? Yep, that's where I'm going. Did the person who organized my tour look at a map? I don't know. Um, But I'm going to be there for their, get this, 5 o'clock service. Oh, my. So I won't be staying long to visit with you. I apologize. That's unusual. Um, And then tomorrow I fly back to Australia to be with family and constituents there during the Passover holiday. So I hope you'll pray for us in Israel, in Australia, all around the globe. I hope you'll fill out that form so that you can get the newsletter. We're going to receive an offering for the ministry of Jews for Jesus. And I know that you rarely do that unless you've got a special. So thank you for receiving one for us today. Please, number one, don't give money to Jews for Jesus if you're not a Christian. We didn't invite you here to pay for your seat. We invited you here to listen and learn along with us. What a great day, Palm Sunday, Hosanna Sunday, to cry to God and ask Him to save you. Let God give you a present today. Don't don't have to give Him anything. Fill out the form, drop it in the plate as it comes by, please. But don't give money to us. And secondly, if you're a member here of the church whether Southside or any other congregation you might usually attend, and you've not been faithful in supporting the local church, makes no sense that you'd support a parachurch ministry like ours. Support the local church first. If you have extra, hope you do. Hope you have a lot extra. And you can support a faith mission like ours. Put the amount there on the front of the slip and drop it into the offering plate as it comes by in a few minutes. And we'll be glad to receipt you and thank you. But whether you're giving or not, fill out the slip and drop it in so that you can extend to us the privilege to speak to you again. That means a lot to me and to us. I'm going to slide to the piano. I'm going to call Kevin up. I'm going to sing. You guys are taking the offering. Go ahead and come forward, please. Uh, I'm excited that we have the opportunity to support this ministry that is evangelistic towards all people, particularly Jews across the world. And if the Lord leads you to support this, do so generously as he leads. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us the call to take forth the gospel throughout all the world. And I pray, Father, that our support this morning of the ministry of Jews for Jesus would help others hear about Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for Bob's ministry in Australia. We pray, Lord, you bless that. And that you would give him opportunity and his family opportunity to be a light in Australia for Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we celebrate Christ this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
these pillows here after 2,500 miles in two weeks and 18 preachings? It's for tired preachers. No, um, in fact, it's the fourth question here and in the Haggadah. It says every other night we can sit up or recline. Tonight we have to recline. Why? Well, a slave has to stand and serve his master, but a freed man can rest. And we who've been redeemed by the power of God in the name of Yeshua, we know this piece, don't we? Passes all understanding. And John the Apostle, the night of the Last Supper, reclined into the One who would be His Redeemer. From this very comfortable place at the end of the Seder, the youngest child rises, goes to the door, and opens it in hopes to see someone there. Not just any someone, a very particular someone. We have a cup filled with wine, a pillow, and a place setting just for Him. We open the door for and we have a cup for Elijah. See, if Elijah comes, right on his coattails will be the one he's announcing. Elijah will say, Nachamu, Nachamu Ami, comfort, comfort my people. Prepare for the Lord is coming. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Repent, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Sound familiar? 
Yeshua said to those who can receive this, John the Baptist is Elijah. Luke said he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Here he was in the river Jordan baptizing people for their sins. Over the hill came his cousin. He told his friend, stop what you're doing. And behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a strange thing to call your cousin. Here's the Lamb of God. I mean, nobody before, nobody since, had ever, has ever been called Agnus Dei, El Cordero de Dios, the Lamb of God. Why would he call him that? And it's one of the weird things. Behold, it's like uh, uh, in Philadelphia we'd say, yo, um, you know, kind of, yo. The lamb, not a lamb, not a multicultural lamb. Our lamb's as good as your lamb, Jewish lamb. You have yours, 21st century, it's okay. No, it's the, the one, the unique, the only lamb. You introduce someone as a lamb on Passover, you're not saying he's going to become president. You're saying his destiny is death. Behold the lamb of God. This isn't man's lamb. We vote on, delegate, go down to Austin, represent. This is God's lamb sent down to humanity so we could be born again. Behold, don't miss it. This is the one and only lamb who's going to die for you and it's God's idea. And if you do that, he'll take the sin out of your world and replace it with faith. He'll take unbelief out, faith in. Wow. What an exchange. John understood that. It wasn't until I was 19 that I understood that. Next month is four decades I'm going to celebrate. We were talking this morning. I'm, I'm dreaming. I was thinking this morning during worship, I was thinking of some ideas of things I'm going to do to thank God for four decades in Him. What are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do the next day? You know, next time you take communion, you'll remember that third cup. I'm sure of that. I want you to do one other thing. Brothers and sisters here at Southside, I want you to join me evangelistically. Oh, you can come to Israel and work with our teams. You are invited. There's stuff in the back to help sort that out. You can come down to Australia. No, not just to visit. Of course you can do that. Yes, you can stay. Um, (laughs) No, there's work to do. And I guess when I think about what I want to leave people with as we depart... You know, John the Baptist, surprise, was not a Baptist. I, I know that might be news. <laughs> I want you to join John in this Jesus declaring ministry. I don't know if you notice, uh, kids, you might be too young, but the world's a mess. Your parents know that. I'm not talking about your room, I mean, the world's a mess although you could work on your room a little. Uh, I don't even know if we have... Is the government working this weekend? I've been driving. I don't know. Uh, Whether they work or don't work, I don't even know if we'd notice. (laughs) But it's strange when I encounter folks who don't believe in Jesus and they say, well... You know, the world's a mess, but it's fixing. We've got government and they're sending more cheese or building wider roads or beating up some guys over in Africa. You know, something's getting better somewhere. Um, And to be fair, wider roads wouldn't be bad. I mean, I'm okay with that. Um, 
But if I'm really looking at what the world needs, it's, it's not government cheese. It's Jesus Christ. And my neighbors need Jesus Christ. And so I think what John did is exactly what I ought to be doing. Going to folks and say, behold, don't miss it. Here's the Lamb of God. That's what's going to change your world. And, and friends, right here in Abilene, I hope you do that as well. I know there's a lot of Christianity. Three universities that are all Christian-ish. Okay, okay, that happened. That's all right. Uh, let's take this time of year. What a perfect time to invite folks to services, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever, whenever you all meet, just get them here. I mean, this, well, I don't want to offend. Okay, don't offend them, but get them here. Well, they might have their own. Well, I don't know if they do or don't, but ask them. How do you know? Ask them. Invite. And let them hear the good news of Jesus, not just Sundays, but from you. And let's see what we can do to make that Behold the Lamb message our message so that we can get the world to hear so they can have an opportunity to respond and give their lives to the one who gave his life for us. Maybe that's what I want to leave you with today an evangelistic challenge to go out from here and share this good news message no matter what the cost. You think my family was happy? They threw me out of the house. It's worth the cost. Let's get out there and do it. I hope you've seen this. If you're not yet a Christian, I hope this makes sense to you. That God did this picture for you 3,500 years ago and he did that picture for you 2,000 years ago so that you shouldn't ought to miss it. Jesus is your Savior. Say yes to Him today. Be born again today. In a moment, Kurt, do you come up and sing and stuff? Kurt, why don't you come on up? Um, we did, I missed the dress rehearsal. <laughs> Kurt, and maybe uh, you want to come play too? Make you work? <laughs> You're just sitting there. Get up here. And, and uh, maybe you could play a song. Look, if you're not a Baptist, and I'm not, um, if you're like me and you don't know what's next, neither did Kurt, see. So <laughs> next for you is the opportunity. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus, if, you're, if you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, my, oh my, this morning, why don't you do that? Why don't you do it right there in your pew? Are you recording this? Yes, no, yes, thank you. So if you're listening on audio, on MP3 or whatever it is, CD, if you're listening and you've never accepted Jesus, but right now just stick that machine on pause and say, Lord, save me.